Heavy Cardboard, Episode 47, Wildcatters. Coming to you from Daniel Plainview's farm in Little Boston, California, <laughs> welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. I'm excited that the only real stress in our life right now is show-related. Yes. I mean, all the other quote-unquote real-life stuff has settled down and been resolved, so... (sighs) We can breathe again. It's awesome. Yeah. First-world problems. I mean, well, let's face it. Every one of our problems is a first-world problem. Oh, yeah. I get that, but when... The show is the only stress in our life. I'll take that. That's not a challenge to the universe. That's just <laughs> a fact. So, yay. Absolutely. Yay! All right. So, we had the Conclave of Gamers, not last weekend, but the weekend before. Local cons are always fun, but it always seems to be that our normal game group plays together. So, basically, what we do is we pay money to play games together in a big, loud room instead of for free at home because you know that makes sense right yeah I, I i was giving you guys a hard time on saturday because literally all y'all sat sat around to play 18 dixie and you were like hey you want to team up and i was like no we're at a con go play with other people <laughs> i said i will go try and find random people to play with so i walked around the con with uh the lid for imperios millenarios and it was like pulling teeth trying to get people to play games and i was mm-hmm. like now I know what you guys are doing. Yeah. But anyway, I was willing to go try and do that. And I did. Uh, I played with Sweater Mike and uh, uh, a two strange people that I didn't know. So that was kind of cool. And that was that was a lot of fun. So, <laughs> But yeah, I got a kick out of the fact that, you know, we travel 30 miles to pay money to go play with the same people. Obviously. No. <laughs> so Weight Watchers update. I've lost 26 pounds now, 14 weeks into this. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty proud of myself. You should be. It's awesome. I'm down 19. I'm almost at my pens. Almost. Almost. So close. Hopefully next week. Oh, fingers crossed. And I got to say, I think one of the things I'm most excited about, about this, this journey that we're on is how many people are joining us. Like mm-hmm. we're not, we're not preaching we're not hey live your life do what you want you know but we've apparently inspired upwards of like a dozen people between twitter a couple of friends locally Mm -hmm. that whether it's weight watchers or or whatever um find something that works for you and go for it and that's just that's really really cool that we've inspired people to do that just at work i have there's three people that have joined just at work that's awesome it's i mean dana look what you started it's awesome. <laughs> we purchased a license for me to have the entire Adobe Creative Cloud suite available, which is really, really nice. This is actually all in due to the fact that we, uh, our Patreon mm-hmm. sponsors or supporters are helping us out yep. to be able to do that to hopefully make this the show sound better, make the, the videos that we upload to YouTube look better, and just... It's a... Helping us help you help us help you type yeah, thing. So thank you. So the Golden Elephant Award Pod Blast was the first one edited in the Big Boy software, Adobe mm-hmm. Audition. 
and I am teaching myself all this stuff, and YouTube videos are my friend. <laughs> it's funny how geeked out you get about just <gasps> new software. Oh, it's awesome. Learn. That's like my favorite thing in the world is to sit down with a piece of new software that I have no idea how to work any of it and figuring it all out. It's like a big puzzle to me. Yeah, I watched you uh, edit the uh, the front end, uh, the the big graphic and all that of the of the Tin Goose unboxing, and just I I was looking at the screen and there were just so many different things. I was like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, have fun, bye. Yeah, and then you run off. <laughs> yep. So we have three weeks until HeavyCon. Yay! Twenty nine sponsors have signed up for our little convention. It's insane. The math trade has started, hoping that picks up steam over the next week. Uh, I saw that Yeroon had just posted a few games, but yeah, come on, people, get with it. Let's go. I mean, granted, there's only 47 attendees here, but at the same time, I'm hoping that over the next week or so that some cool games get get put up there and, and we have a successful math trade. Well, yeah. Are we going to have an auction? No, just a, kind of a swap meet flea gotcha. market type thing. Okay. It's going to be so much fun. I'm so excited. I finally saw the space last, not last Saturday, but Saturday before. And the same day we went to the Conclave of Gamers. And um, after seeing it, I'm even more excited than I was before. Because I have, in my, in my head, I can visualize exactly what everything's going to look like. And how it's going to go and everything. And I'm just all signed up for games. And I have a little calendar. And I'm just, I'm all excited. Such a geek. Duh. <laughs> My lovely husband, Edward, has decided that he wants to rearrange our game collection yet again. Sorry? <laughs> well, my theory is just to put them where they fit because, I mean, anything that anything else that you do, if you do it alphabetically or by publisher or whatever... I like the idea of doing it by color. I do too. However, if we do it by color then the next red box game that we buy, if it doesn't fit in the red box area, then we have to shift everything over. We're going to have to shift no matter what. But, hey, it, it's I enjoy... Hold on. You enjoy new software. I enjoy rearranging the game room. Correct. But I don't make you help me with the software like you make me help you with the game room. All right. You got me there. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> so I'm curious with the listeners. Like, how often do you all rearrange your stuff um for those that have you know a, a, a decent sized collection i'm curious so am i nuts that i like doing it every i don't know six months or so but yeah i mean as games leave and new games come in things get jumbled up and you gotta make room so i'm really okay with that and if you want i will do it on my own for now on okay then by color had a fortuitous event take place last week that i kind of wanted to share with folks real quick I've been pretty vocal about the segregation of podcasts and, uh, from other review mediums on BGG specifically, especially I've been vocal about it on Twitter over the last few months. And I figure since BGG is the main portal into the hobby online, it would make sense that podcasts kind of get fair treatment and not always hidden away and buried as they have been. Well, Lance, or Undead Viking, he does a weekly alaboom on YouTube, which is a chance for various folks in and out of the industry, get together, talk shop, and just kind of random things and BS here and there or whatever for a few hours on Wednesday. And it's live on YouTube so people can watch and ask questions and we can answer them, etc., etc. Well, last week I was on it and Aldi 
the owner of BGG happened to be on as well. I had no clue. Legitimately, I had no idea. Turn the camera on and, oh, there's Aldi. <laughs> Aldi asked me to state my case for podcast because apparently he'd heard something about me raising a stink on Twitter or whatever. I told him there were three main issues that podcasters have that they would like to see addressed. And I'm not trying to speak for all podcasters, but having spoken with enough of our friends uh, that are podcasters, we're in agreement that these are the three main things in no particular order. One, whenever we release episodes and tag games, it doesn't trigger subscriptions for those subscribed to those games on BGG and everything else does. That doesn't make sense. Aldi seemed surprised at that. Like, he didn't know that didn't happen. Wow. The second, videos and written reviews all have their own front page module on BGG. Podcasts don't. Why not? Why, why can't we get one? And if people don't want to see it, they can always, you know, edit it out. They can they not see it. The third thing, I mentioned that we were, that we on the show, you and me, we give pretty in-depth reviews on our show, and I would consider them in-depth reviews, as would our listeners, yet only videos and written reviews are shown on the game pages, with podcasts buried under menus that you have to go hunt for. That didn't seem right. So Aldi said they took surveys, uh, or they had a big survey on BGG, and it showed that there were much bigger demand for written and video reviews versus podcasts, and I asked if wouldn't that be at least partially due to the fact that podcasts are hard to find on BGG? And if folks can't find them, they're probably not going to be interested in them. Right. You know, right. since they, they, they can't find them. Mm-hmm. And he agreed and said that he's going to address it. And he also said he's going to start listening to the show. Hi, Aldi. <laughs> so honestly, that's really all I could ask for. Podcasters, we don't want special treatment. We just want fair and on par with what other mediums get. That's all. And Aldi, if you are listening, I appreciate you taking the time and, and being receptive, honestly. And, and enjoy the rest of the show. This episode of Heavy Cardboard is brought to you by the fine folks over at BoardGameTables.com. While none of us needs a gaming table... Sure would be great to have one as the centerpiece of your game days. Go check them out at BoardGameTables.com. And if you do, please tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. We've had a number of iTunes reviews uh, since our last episode, so thank you to everybody who's left them. Critique Girl, Wood for Sheep 2. Apparently Wood for Sheep 1 was taken. (laughs) Frame Brain. And from New Zealand, DNA MERS. So thank you, everybody who's left them. Yes, thanks, guys. Much appreciated. It helps bring visibility to the show. Or would that be audibility? I don't know. Like visibility to the logo. There you go. (laughs) We wanted to also take a little time to thank some of our Patreon supporters. And we're going to do this over the next few months. So big shout outs to Brian Wilcutt. David Cordero, Kyle Nauman, Holly Pascarelli, Matt Clark, Jason Dinger, and Trinet. Thanks, guys. We cannot extra- we cannot stress how awesome our Patreon supporters have been. Thank you very yes. much. And actually, we are holding two contests this month. What? I know, right? One for the show and one special one for our Patreon supporters. 
The game that we're giving away on our Patreon is My Village. And for the giveaway for the show, a copy of Mombasa. So become a Patreon supporter and get the chance to win an additional game this month. Rock on. That's... I'm excited. We're giving away two games. That's pretty cool. So for this month's contest on the show, we're going to make you all work a little because it seems you all enjoy that. This time, it's a quiz ranging from things about the game Mombasa itself to the history of the topic to things about the show and whatever else. Go to heavycardboard.com forward slash contest and follow the instructions there. We'll let it go for a couple episodes, so we'll be closing entries on... Memorial Day, May 30th. Have fun, good luck, and speaking of show sponsors, we want to thank the great folks over at Game Surplus for their sponsorship of the show and with helping us make these great giveaways and contests possible. Great people, great reputation, along with a great inventory of imported and hard-to-find games, well, you can see why we're proud to be partnered with Game Surplus. Their tagline is home of great games at great prices, so check them out, gamesurplus.com. And when you do, remember to tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. Our website is heavycardboard.com. Our email address is contact at heavycardboard.com. We love to hear from you guys, so please send us email or follow us on Twitter at heavycardboard. Our Facebook page is heavycardboard. Our Instagram is heavycardboard. And our BGG guild number is 2044. And our Patreon is patreon.com slash heavycardboard. We've been trying to come up with new and fun ways to include our listeners more with the show, and we wanted to run this by you guys. So every once a month or so, we're going to throw it at a topic and ask anyone who wants to to email us their thoughts. We'll pick one good answer and have that person record their thoughts, and then we'll put that on the show. Let's see how this goes, and if you guys have any suggestions or ideas for segments or topics, holler at us via email or in the guild and let us know what you think. The topic we thought we'd start with has to do with scalability and what it means to you. When we reviewed Cavum last episode, Amanda brought up that she she thought the game played really well at two players in spite of the fact that it didn't scale at all. I took scalability in that it plays well across all player counts, two, three, and four, albeit differently, therefore it scaled well. So that's just kind of an example. So tell us what you think, and maybe we'll have you on the show. All right, so why don't you tell everybody what has recently crossed our threshold? Well, there's been two things. Uh, one a few days ago and one yesterday. The first one, Two de Mayo. It's uh, from the for- War Game Pay It Forward Geek List on BGG. It's two-player, 30-minute or so abstract on the Spanish uprising against the French occupation of Madrid on May 2nd, 1808. We're recording this on May 3rd, so it seems appropriate. I've been uh, passively looking for it, kind of keeping an eye out for over a year now. So that was pretty cool to finally land a copy of that. And I wouldn't be surprised if we talk about it next episode either as a trailer or just what we've been playing. Cool. And last but not least, a complete and utter shock to me, uh, Rio Grande Games. They do zero promotion, and they're not the best at uh, responding to correspondence, but they sent us a review copy of the highly anticipated Tingoose, designed by Matt Calkins, the same designer as Sekigahara. The plan is to do a double feature episode of Matt Calkins uh, coming up, either right before or right after heavy con so that i'm looking forward to that i think it's gonna be a lot of fun so is there anything on the shopping list i hope so 
1844 slash 54 from Lookout Games has been released at least across the pond over in Europe. I'm excited to get our hands on it. Really looking forward to that. I saw that Soul started its Kickstarter campaign, SOL, Soul. Uh, we met them at HeavyCon, or I'm sorry, at BGGCon last year, and everybody I talked to really enjoyed their play of the game. So I'm looking forward to at least getting getting more info on that. Cool. But other than that, just the stuff that's on the uh, on the anticipation geek list, and I I'm not gonna say I'm going off the deep end like some Tony uh, regarding 18xx, but there are uh, a handful of 18xx games that I really would like to acquire. We don't need them. I mean, between Tony and and Paul Chad, they have it, literally everything. I'm not worried about that, but right. I want them. So, no, other than that, that's it. So, how about you? What are you looking forward to playing here in the next couple of weeks? I am very much looking forward to playing 1860 on my birthday. Oh, 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 you have a birthday coming up. I do. Tell me more. It's Friday. Really? This Friday? This Friday, May 6th. All right. I will be 36 years old. Wow, you're actually throwing it out there. I'm surprised. I don't care. Okay. But, um, funny story a little bit. Um, So, when I was little... I thought that however old you were, that's what day your birthday fell on. So I thought, like, whenever I was six, that my birthday was May 6th. And when I was seven, I thought it was going to be on May 7th. So I guess I would technically kind of be in June, like June 5th at this point, if that actually held true. So if that's the case, so in three years, we'll have the same birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember when I was little, I was always so confused about what day my birthday actually was because I just had it in my brain that that's how it went. But I've never heard that story. That's, that's, that's really adorable. (laughs) Goofy little anecdote about myself. Okay. So I'm also looking forward to playing 10 goose. Yes. That's Um, on my list as well. Right. The, uh, it just, it, I'm just interested to play it since there's nothing about it. And I'm starting to get the Age of Steam itch again. So I'd like to maybe get a two-player map of that in. Matt said that the Georgia reconstruction map was really, really good. I think uh, that or the... Was it Al- that one? I think it was the Alabama map. One or the other one. I can't remember. But one of them, the, he, he and Dana played and said it was really, really good. And also Millennium Blades. Yeah. Just the premise of it seems really awesome. And I, yeah, yeah. And I like uh, Argent. It's Is it in the same universe? I know it's the same artwork. I don't know if it is or not, to be honest. And uh, yeah, Brad Dalton's probably like screaming at the at, right. at speakers like, yes right. or no. So sorry, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to playing that. Um, yeah. So Small City, the world has conspired mm-hmm. to impede us from playing this every it single has. time we've tried to play it. But this weekend, damn it, we are getting it played Saturday. Yeah, right. So that, Tingus, Millennium Blade, Sekigahara, and Kaivai. That's on my list. Or at least my, 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 hey, in a perfect world, this is what we play. Right. But hopefully we can get those, get those going. Yeah. As far as what we have been playing, why don't you start? Uh, obviously Wildcatters. We've actually been playing a lot of dominant species lately, which is awesome. Hospital Connect which we'll go into more detail later. Arkwright. Which was awesome. Yeah, it was. I hadn't fl- we haven't played that in a while, and it was nice to get that back to the table. I love that and game. And with two new players, so uh-huh. I was a bit rusty on the teaching, but I think it went well overall. Yeah, but they dove right into Waterframe. It was very impressive. Yeah, I uh, I didn't even do that, so. I know. Okay, Um. then also 18 Dixie. 
we did an, a playtest of 18CO and also another playtest of Indonesium. I was sidecar with Edward. That was after my big play of 18 Dixie and my brain really couldn't handle another hard game, number one. And number two, there was too many people that wanted to play Indonesium. So First I world kinda, problems again. Right. So I just kind of hung out with you. and So kind of on that note, uh, so what Indonesium is, is Tony made a riff and kind of expanded on what Indonesia does by Splatter, uh, except he set it in space with dual orbiting and changing maps and boards and stuff. And we're actually going to show this to the Splatter guys at HeavyCon and kind of get their blessing, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, and maybe look to go forward with actually maybe checking into getting it published for real. So... Excited about that. And uh, to piggyback on what you said about 18CO, local guy Ryan, about 45 minutes north of us, designed an 18XX set here in Colorado. Gorgeous production. For, it's beautiful. For a playtest, man, for a, for a published copy, that was gorgeous. Um, really solid, fun, want to play it more. And he left a copy with us to take to HeavyCon. So I expect to see that getting played there as well. So thanks, Ryan. So other than that... What else have you been playing that I haven't mentioned already? Well, uh, with Matt and Dana, they brought this uh, simple tableau building game. It has beautiful art, really unique theme. It's called Mahala or Mahola. I'm not sure. It's What about Mahala? It's uh, Native American tribal dances it's about. So really cool artwork, really simple game. The gameplay was kind of eh, but beautiful artwork and a cool theme. So there was that. Uh, I played a lot of Crokinole as I want to do at the Conclave of Gamers, because there's a tournament every Friday of the Conclave. And uh, I had a very poor showing in the tournament, but I had a lot of fun. I do want a custom heavy cardboard Helsinki board eventually. So for, you know, a birthday or just (laughs) because. I played four games of Trick of the Rails. It's a clever little trick-taking game with an 18xx theme. It's being reprinted by uh, a local publisher and a friend of ours, Justin, from Terra Nova Games. It's going to be on Kickstarter either this month or next. Uh, definitely going to be put, uh, picking up a few copies to give away on the show and stuff like that. And they're redoing the artwork, so I'm excited to see what he does with that. Got in that play of Imperius Millenarios that I, was, I mentioned earlier at the Conclave. Five players on the western map. The word no was being thrown around early and often when people were asking permission to expand or to trade. It really made for a lot more conflict and honestly, just a better game, a lot more fun. So that was that was positive. And we continued to play 1860 as the 18xx of the quarter. And this time we had two four player games of it. It did run a little long because we played it all the way out. Uh, but we all loved it and had a great time. And like you said, playing it again on Friday because that's the game you wanted to play on your birthday. Yep, yep. Very cool. So let's hear about a little bit of coal digging. I ain't saying she a coal digger. <laughs> all right, so let's talk some Hospital Connect. Designed uh, by Thomas Spitzer. Published in 2015 by Quinn Games. Two to four players. Plays in 60 to 90 minutes, give or take a bit. 
This is the third game in Thomas Spitzer's Cole trilogy, the others being Rushford and Cole and Colony, where Rushford is about transporting coal through the Ruhr Valley, and Cole and Colony is about building the mines. Hospital Connect here is actually about mining the coal itself. Players play as farmers digging up for coal on their farm to help make ends meet. They also have some help from a few fellas to make the process of mining coal a little bit easier. The game's played over three years, broken down into seasons, when the first three seasons are where the meat of the game takes place, and then winter is a cleanup, upkeep type phase. Hospital Connect uses a similar action selection mechanic to the one that's used in Last Train to Wesleydale, but there's no auction, just turn order based selection. There are multiple cartfuls of random assortments of action discs from which the players may choose. Each color corresponds to a different action and players choose only a single color and take all the discs of that color from the from that uh, cart, that box, max of five total per turn. After which, they then go and select a second time up to that total of five discs between the two selections. After players select action discs for the second time, they simultaneously allocate their discs to the various workers on the board. Then in turn order, players perform those actions. Getting wood used as support beams for the tunnels that they're digging. Dig for coal. Clear out the nasty pit water. Or building a development, which is an advancement on the tech tree. At the end of each year, there's rent to be paid to the landowner. You're only renting the farm, after all. Coal is turned in for victory points, and after three years, whomever has scored the most victory points wins. As listeners of the show know, I love tech trees, and and that's basically what the development tiles are. There's variable setup each game, plus different layouts for the development tiles. And with the different tech tree layouts, they it kind of helps force you to figure out the best way through them, or whether you want to focus more on the mining and less on the developments. There's that clever action selection mechanic that I highlighted in the overview. There's some player interaction, you know, jockeying for turn order to be able to select the action discs that you need for the next turn, plus timing of when you build developments on the tech tree to force your opponents to have to pay you to advance on the tech tree. Yeah, the tech tree aspect is really cool. It's a a different take on the tech tree mechanic. It's nice to see a rethinking of it and you know being able to pay pay other players to branch off of the area where they are is quite interesting gameplay is is actually really clean and it's super super smooth the theme comes through the game it's kind of a it's an easier jumping off point for the coal series it's by far the lightest i would say this is light medium Mm -hmm. at most there's multiple paths to victory The different layouts can help drive a direction, but not limit it to only that one direction. There's very little downtime, and it's beautiful production. Both the artwork and the components are really well produced. But there are some downsides to the game. As I mentioned, it's it's quite a bit lighter than the other games in the series, and I, I don't know that it really... I mean... Thomas Spitzer, it's his series. He dictates what belongs and what doesn't. You know, I don't want to presume, but it just right. kind of didn't feel like it fit with it. Yeah. It just, it, if it, 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 yeah. Yeah, I felt the same way. There's, I also have concerns about replayability. Um, even with the variable setup, in a four-player game, 
all the tiles get used. Less so in two and three player games, granted. But a few plays in and the game is starting to feel a little samey, I guess. Uh, I want to play with less players and I want to see if the variability in the, the development tree is a bit more dynamic. There's an expansion in development that brings more tiles to the game, so I'm going to reserve judgment on that aspect for it for now. The last kind of negative that I have about this is it reminds me of something that Tony said when we were reviewing the game Ships. Depending on how the development tiles come out here in Hospital Connect, it's possible to do very little mining in a game about mining and mm -hmm. still win. And Tony said that about ships, like a, a game called Ships. If I can win when I only ever have one or two ships on the board as opposed to a whole lot more from other players, it just seems off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the game the first time we played it, but each each subsequent play has it's fallen lower and lower on the enjoyment list. It's the Spirium disease. It is. It's very Spirium disease-ish. <laughs> and for those that don't know, that that's exactly what happened when we played Spirium. Really dug it the first time and liked it a little bit more each time, and after five plays, we got rid of it. So Hospital Connect is a fine game. Clearly work has gone into playtesting and it's got quite a bit of polish on it, but it never really grabbed me. It's fine. As a fan of the previous two games in the series, I can't help but feel a little underwhelmed, I guess, by the final volume in the trilogy. That said, I'm wanting to play it a bit more with the different layouts of the development tiles and I'm, I'm gonna hold on to the game until more details come out about the expansion. But as it is right now, I'd give it a three on our one to six scale with the potential to move up to a four if the different layouts and smaller player count give it a little bit more life as well as possibly the expansion. Yeah, my rating is the same and I really only rated it a three because of the tech tree being interesting, but I will never ever suggest playing this game. I will play it if people want to, but I would, there's so many other games I would rather play than this. And that's Hospital Connect. I'm excited to hear your take on this next one. Tell us a little bit about 18 Dixie. All right. 18 Dixie was uh, designed by Mark Derrick and published by Deep Thought. It plays three to six players. It's about an hour per player, but I've heard that you don't want to play six. It plays three to five. In the game, um, 18 Dixie is set in the southeast region of the United States. It begins right after the Civil War. So therefore, like Atlanta starts out worth very little. But by the end of the game, it's the most profitable city on the map. And, you know, it's your normal 18xx game, but with subtle variations. And the first variation is how the companies or privates work. The round of play area of the map is quite different than you may be used to. Um, for the first six operating rounds, various things happen between each one. The game begins with the auction of the privates, and they're numbered one through seven. Then you have two operating rounds, and then the remaining two trains go into the open market. After that, another stock round begins with more privates and miners available for purchase. And then between operating rounds three and four, and the third stock round, certain numbered miners close... And then the rest of the miners close between operating rounds five and six. 
And then after that, it's just a normal 18xx operating round, stock round scenario. Yeah, that when I saw that, because I, I, I've yet to play this, I saw you guys playing this, but I saw it normally it just goes stock round, operating yeah. one, operating round two, yep. operating round three. And I saw that, and it's just, it's... It looked like you know one of those yes no diagrams. It does. It's a it's a very long, <laughs> it's a it's a process. The little the. But it looked interesting. Yeah, it, it's really nice that it's right there on the board, and you so you can see going forward what's about to close. And so what's really cool about the game is that I think anyway the miners always split profits 50-50 with the owner. The charter comes with a two train, and it's the train is printed on it. So you can always run and it's a great money maker for you to be able to start a good company later on, but it's also good to get ex- the more expensive track lays around the board. And there are so many companies and, and the coolest thing is, is that the miners grow up into majors. And so when that happens, all money, tokens, trains, everything will go along to the major. Like it'll just kind of grow up and the major kind of absorbs all the minor stuff. That's cool. And um, and then in addition, some of the miners will allow you preferred shares in the major companies, and those preferred shares do not count against your sixty percent ownership cap. So, oh, so you can go above sixty yeah, percent if you have yeah, those if you have the share, preferred shares. shares. So it's very important to at least try to focus on opening miners that you know will go well for folding into major companies. There's it even says on the charters which ones kind of work best together. And then um, two of the majors can be started at the, by the purchase of a private company at the very beginning, and that can that gives you the presidency. And it also puts three shares into the open market, so you're immediately floated. Nice. All right. Another pretty cool thing that, about 18 Dixie is that the train ruster that whenever the trains rust, you get salvage value, so you get to recoup a little bit of your money when the trains rust. Oh, so you can kind of use that money to roll into right. your next train purchase if you're trainless or whatever. Exactly. And, and another thing, uh, one of the privates has what's called spare parts. It's just a little a little token. And you can add those spare parts to a rusted train, and that allows you to run for one more operating round. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So you can have your spare parts run one last operating round. Then when it rusts, rusts, you get salvage value. So it's pretty cool. So it also it, it, it softens the blow for the, whoever yeah, has that one private, right? For sure. So the kind of difficulties with there being privates and minors and majors and and the intricacies of when stuff closes and, and when other things become available, that can be a little difficult for a brand new player kind of to wrap their brain around it. When you say brand new player, do you mean brand new 18xxer or brand yeah. new? Yeah, okay. like you played 1846 a couple of times and you want to jump into something a little bit more meaty. Uh, that this get that helps you a little bit because of the trains, the train salvage, and being able to maybe get that spare parts private company at the beginning of the game. So really, the only thing that's not cool about the game is the actual purchase of the game. It's pretty expensive. It's two hundred three dollars at the on the Golden Spike website. But at least. It's not deep thought games. I mean, it is, but it isn't. You don't have to wait four or five years. You can get exactly. it in a couple weeks. <laughs> exactly. So at least there's that. See, silver lining. Yeah. But one of the reasons why it's so expensive, actually, is because it it comes with additional components for two more games, 18GA and 18MS. 
Right. So you have smaller Georgia and Mississippi are two smaller 18xx mm-hmm. games. So you get three in one. Yeah. So, so that's not bad for two hundred three dollars. Right? Yeah. But yeah, that's that's it. Um, it's that's my only gripe about it. It's a, it's another great 18xx game that I can't wait to explore more. It's just it, I I discovering that I'm liking 18xx games that have minors that turn into majors like Arden and EU and this one. Oh, ones that grow. Uh-huh. So they trains grow that up. Gr- yeah, companies that grow up. Yeah. All right. Very cool. I'm excited to play it. I mean, I saw you guys. Everybody having a good time, and I'm walking around with my box of Imperial Millionaires with all these strangers at the con name I want to play. Well, you so. know, I offered. <laughs> it's all good. Nah, nah. <laughs> we'll play it soon enough. Yeah, but I mean, I don't really feel comfortable giving it a rating. I've only played it once, but well, that's 18 Dixie. So, baby, you want to talk about a little Texas tea? Wildcatters, published in 2013, designed by Rolf Sagel and Andre Spiel. Artist, and I apologize ahead of time, Boss Yonkin and Don Van Pyridon, published by Ras Games, plays three to four players with an official variant for two players. It says it plays in about 120 minutes. As far as availability and costs, shockingly, I know, it's out of print. But I have it on good authority that it's getting reprinted, if not a second edition, sometime in 2017. That's all I'm allowed to say right now. In Wildcatters, players are the heads of one of the four historic oil companies in the 19th century. Standard Oil, which now is ExxonMobil, Royal Dutch, which is now Shell, Anglo-Persian Oil Company, now BP, and Pacific Oil, in a roundabout way, became Chevron. As the head of one of those companies, players are developing oil fields around the world. The game is played over seven or eight rounds, depending on player count, and each round, players take turns choosing from eight available area cards in which they can build infrastructure for the drilling for oil, drill for said oil, then auction extra small oil rights. After all that drilling, all players who have produced oil will then transport a portion of that oil produced to waiting refineries where it's finally delivered to oil-hungry regions around the world. This is an economic-driven game where, in the end, players are competing for 12 area majorities. At the end of the fifth round, and the seventh or eighth, whichever is the final round, players will score each of those 12 majorities, giving first, second, and third place victory points for each. Each of the four companies has its own shares of stock, which players will be trading amongst themselves, jockeying for majorities and shares. In addition to that jockeying for majorities and shares, players will be using their own shares of stock to be able to use other people's infrastructure in the transporting of oil. Companies will never change hands, but leading in shares in a company is valuable victory points. Then there's the majority of cash on hand, and finally, and this is the biggie, each company will be fighting to have delivered more oil to each of the seven regions of the world for big in-game points. Of course, there are potentially loans that need to be repaid, and there are some other bonus scoring for Wildcatter chips acquired as well as the number of refineries each player has built. 
but in the end, whomever has the most points wins. So let's talk scalability and, and plays and player counts here. I've played it nine or ten times now uh, across both three and four players. I've played it, I think, like six or seven times. Uh, only one three player and the rest have been four. So scalability. See, this is a bit of a tricky thing as some of our, or at least my, some of my three player games were played with the original rules in which the game doesn't scale mm -hmm. much. And then there's the more recent official change to the three player game that includes a dummy player, sort of. Previously, before the revision to the rules, I didn't like playing with the original rules as a three player game. But since the introduction of that dummy fourth player, it's made the three-player game much, much better. If And if you're anything like me, I normally cringe whenever I hear dummy player. But I feel like it's really well introduced and it doesn't have a whole lot of moving parts at all throughout the game. But it makes the game vastly better. Yeah, I, I've only, I only played it once at three players without the dumb player because it was so not enjoyable. But now I would be perfectly happy playing it three. I I I very much like the dummy player. And the other than me. <laughs> I was gonna say and you know, the other one not named Edward. And again, there's an official variant for two players, but we haven't tried it yet. Andre keeps asking us to and we will, I promise, before the reprint happens, okay? So let's talk about the cardboard now, components and graphic design. For me, I think this is the best looking game on the table. Period, amen, end of story. Gorgeous muted colors, 3D oil derricks, barrels of oil, just absolutely fantastic. It makes for very good pictures. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. The share certificates and the money bills, uh, or the money in the game, they're called money bills, are too thin for my mm -hmm. liking and they're a bit of an odd size they're not standard mini european size they're functional but i feel like they could have been made uh, a bit thicker and of a, a normal easy to sleeve size if you were to sleeve the money which you wouldn't because there's too many of them but nonetheless uh that's one gripe i have with it also the oil barrels are smooth uh just they're dowel shaped you know have just round barrel shaped mm -hmm. uh easy for them to roll around and they're prone to being knocked over they're small functional but eh, could have done something to where they're maybe hexa hexagon or octagon little yeah that, uh, that might have been better like the little things in puerto rico the, the hexagonal colonists and stuff that yep. might have been might have been better I don't have a problem with it, but I also have little tiny girly hands. <laughs> I don't have gigantic man hands. There's a misprint on the player age, which in general, the player aids are really, really good. But the misprint is why we always say refill yeah. whenever something needs to be refilled in any game for the last three years. That's mm -hmm. how it's been. So I love the, like you said before, the colors. Muted colors are my favorite because of... I just would assume my head, my headaches. I just, my eyes like muted colors more. Oh, good point. I never thought about that. Yeah. The the components are very nice. I The only gripe I do have, though, is that the 3D Derricks, some of them don't fit together just right. So you can pick it up and it falls apart. Nothing a little super glue can't Exactly. Fix. Yeah, it's two pieces. You just fit together. I don't have any graphic design complaints. Um, the board is laid out well and has all the information that you're going to need on it. 
yeah, like the scoring and the scoring and everything is is all in the areas. That yeah, and it. and again, it's beautiful artwork choices. Mm-hmm. They've really nailed it on that. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree that the graphic design is good, but on the area cards themselves, the colors of the share of stock in which you mm-hmm. get the Very yellow light. is really really too faint. It's yeah. it's it's almost impossible. It's hard to see the color. Yeah, it almost looks like it's empty and that you can have how many ever shares of whatever you want exactly and then there there are seven regions on the board three of them are refining and transport only europe africa and australia and those are all like a a dirty white color that they chose Mm -hmm. for those however south america is an oil producing region and it's a light gray color that's somewhat similar it's too similar. Right. And it's a non-issue after you start your first game. You know it. But I just feel like they could have done a little bit better on the contrast to mm-hmm. make those stand out a little bit more. Yeah, I would agree. But other than that, um, yeah, really, really just gorgeous, gorgeous board to look mm-hmm. at. It is. The rule book comes with multiple languages. And the English translation, let's just say it loses a fair bit in translation. It's not the best as far as organization, and it has a number of omissions and ambiguities. And when I was prepping for the show, uh, I noticed there's a number of rules questions that two years ago, almost to the day, I answered on BGG. Uh, So there are a lot of questions people have had because the rulebook is not good. I'll be honest, it really isn't. However, if you go and you read the rules questions on BGG, everything got answered between, honestly, between me and mostly Andre Spiel, the uh, designer. Um, so that's going to be invaluable to new players. And there's also a FAQ posted on BGG that is absolutely invaluable as well. Uh, I have no doubt that the rule book's going to be rewritten in the new edition. So take solace in that. Uh, but it is learnable. Between the rule book and BGG rules, threads, etc., etc., it does require some work, though. But in my opinion, it was worth it. So just FYI, if you end up getting the addition we have. All right. So what makes this game heavy, medium? What? What do you think? I think it's medium heavy. That's for exactly me. what I have it as as well. Yeah. So let's talk complexity then about this medium heavy game, as far That's- as rules overhead and such. It's very procedural. So the player aid is perfect for that because you can just follow step by step by step what to do. And like you said before, the player aid's very well laid out and easy to understand. I just feel like the initial learning of the rules can be a bit tricky. But like you said, with that player aid, mm-hmm. you're, you're pretty much rocking and rolling. The one thing that helps to remember is you never spend money cash on other players' turns. You only spend money on your mm-hmm. turn. If they had said that somewhere in the rule book, I think that would, that really would have help. helped. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. So let's move on to planning. As far as, you know, just forethought and how much thinking ahead there is, et cetera, et cetera. The big planning part of the game lies in the area majority part where you have to try to make sure you have more more oil barrels. That's really hard to say. In the, re- in the different regions and your opponents. The planning relies so heavily on the cards that are in the draw area for that area majority part that if the area you really need to be able to dig for oil isn't available, 
You have to gamble by spending four points to wipe the board of those cards and get more dealt out and just hope and pray that the one that you need comes out. And that's just, that's a lot of points to gamble, in my opinion, um, because this isn't, this isn't a game that you're going to score 400 points. You're going to score 100, maybe a little bit more. So, I mean, in the long run, four points is a lot. I hear what you're saying as far as that goes. I, I do feel that the the area cards that you select uh, make the game uh, more tactical, but there is some overarching planning that needs to go on um, as far as, okay, I see that you have the majority in South America, and I know I need to be able to get more barrels into South America. So regardless of where I'm producing, I need to make sure that I can ship oil over to the refinery that's in South America Mm -hmm. so that I have more barrels there than you so that when we do in-game scoring and that mid-game scoring, I can go ahead and outpoint you in that respect. And the one good thing about that is that if you know where you can see what cards are available. And so if you know that you're going to be drilling and transporting oil from Russia and you have an available ship, you can you can move your ship wherever you want to. So you can move your ship over over to Russia, get all the get your three barrels on there and then truck on over to South America. So that's that's one good thing about that about that part. So as far as luck and random factors, there's only one random factor in the game, but it comes into play throughout the entire game, but mainly in two different aspects. During the initial setup, each player has three oil derricks, two trains for transport, and one ship to be able to place out in the various regions of the board to go ahead and seed the board before the game starts. Each player is dealt eight cards, which depict one of the eight oil-producing regions on the board. And then you place, taking turns one by one, one of those pieces of infrastructure on the board. So what you're dealt dictates where you can put things. Now, granted, mm-hmm. you're going to have pretty good coverage, but it also it, it, it is a randomization at the beginning of the game. So that's something to take into consideration. And then the second one that you and I have been talking about, the same area cards drive the game. After the initial setup, they're shuffled, eight are dealt out next to the board, and on every player's turn, the first thing you do is you select one of those cards, and that dictates which area, along with the three neutral areas that aren't oil producing, those are the only areas that you can work that turn. And we'll hit on this much more later, no doubt, but it certainly adds or detracts from the weight and enjoyment of the game, depending on how much you like having to deal with the tactical nature that this brings to the game. So we'll get on that more later. As far as getting it, what do you think, Amanda? I think that for the the scoring part, it's very important to see that happen after the first five rounds. But I mean, you're gonna you're gonna kind of understand the flow after one or two turns. But really understanding how the scoring works is very it's that's an important thing to understand. And it, at least you get to see that before the game is completed. You get to see it near the end, but not so far near the end that you can't recover at least a little bit. But it was very important for me to see how the area majority piece worked to fully understand what I needed to do. All right. And while there's nothing really emergent as the game goes along, I mean, every every round is the same as the previous one. 
the situations that arise where the player's strategy and understanding of the situation, that's going to favor experience. But as far as the actual, oh, I understand how I play the game. I agree with you. The first or second round of the game, you should be able to get it. So let's get into the meat of this. What makes this game enjoyable and why? I know that this seems completely counter to what I've been saying, but the cards are integral to the gameplay and the joy when a card comes out that you really need (laughs) is really awesome. So yeah, the cards kind of suck on one hand, but on the other hand, it makes you think and makes you kind of have to plan on the fly. Yeah. I, uh, this is the biggest beef that people have with the game. All right. Either positive or negative. I enjoyed this aspect. I'm reminded of the Steven Still song. If you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. In other <laughs> words, make the best, you know, hey, you got lemons? Make lemonade. Make right. the best of it. So just because you don't have that one area that you really want to be able to go and do something in, adjust. There's an even distribution of area cards, six of each. It forces tactical decisions and, and making the best hand with what you're dealt, so to speak. Uh, much like the area cards in Brass, although there's no circumvention like there is uh, in Brass to where you could discard two and go anywhere. There's none of that in this. You can always flush the cards for eight new cards for four points. So I I like being forced to make those tactical decisions on the fly. A lot of people don't like not being able to do what they need to do or what they want to do and not making that adjustment. Maybe this ain't the game for you then if that's going to be an issue. For me, the first point I want to highlight, and I hate starting off with aesthetics because it gives the impression that, you know, that's what carries the game. Ooh, it's real pretty. No, that that's not the case here. I just really love how the game looks on the table. It's striking. And like I said earlier, it is my favorite game on the table physically, just from an aesthetic standpoint. Gorgeous game. Mm-hmm. It is very pretty. The natural procedure of the game. And what I mean by that is I I just dig the way the game flows. It's thematic. It makes sense. Players have to build oil derricks in the oil fields before you can drill. Once you drill, which only happens once per game per area in each region, it costs a lot of money to drill, but oil starts flowing for everybody. So just because Amanda drilled, I get to benefit from that. Yay. Infrastructure has to be in place to be able to transport the oil from the oil field to the harbor whose trains there's only two spots to be able to transport oil from the oil fields to the harbor so if amanda and tony get both those spots i still have to transport oil i just gotta pay for use of their infrastructure so there's that whole interdependency thing that i just it between the flow and the 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 thematic way the game works and that interdependency, awesome. Yeah, the interactivity with other players is really cool because you have to use each other's ships and refineries and you have to drill for oil oil together. Uh, you, you cannot do it all by yourself. Impossible. You right. absolutely cannot spread yourself not only too thin, like have a lot of stuff all over the planet, but you also cannot populate an area just with your stuff. You, there's no way. You yeah, could, if you monopolize your own area, that's no one's, suicide. No one's going to come over there 
and and help you drill and help you transport mm-hmm. and do all these things. Why would they? They have no incentive. Exactly. And so, I mean, sure, you get the benefits, but the different if you go over there and you monopolize one area, well, that's great on the one time once around the table that you'll be able to do it. No one else is going to help you. Whereas mm-hmm. if me and Tony and Paul Chad are all in this other area, all three of us might produce and might transport oil from that area and work in that area because we all have mutually beneficial things to do there. But poor Amanda, she's over there in North America by herself. Enjoy it that one time it comes around. Go for it. Knock yourself out. Yeah. And then after that, you're going to have to start playing with the other people. Right. And that that whole piggybacking and enforced partnerships, even if you don't want to, it's forced on you and... You just have to make better use of it than your opponents do when they piggyback off of you. So some examples of that piggybacking. There's got to be four oil derricks in a given region, in an area, in a region, before anyone can drill. If I drill, you get to exchange an oil derrick for a pump jack, which comes with three barrels of oil on it. That's all a pump jack's ever going to produce in its lifetime, but you got to do it for three shares of stock. As opposed to me, I had to pay upwards of $15 to be able to do it. You're basically a big leech, but I get to reciprocate in a different area. So you drill and I get to leech off of you. So yay that. I just hope, like I said, I make better use of it than you do. There, The game can be a little bit cutthroat at times if you're paying really close attention to how many shares everybody has of their own stock. Oh, yeah. Because when, whenever someone puts one of their oil barrels in your refinery, you have to pay them two shares. Of your own stock. Of your own stock. So if someone, where there are five open areas in each refinery. So if someone went over to your refinery on their ship and they loaded three barrels in there and you have five shares, guess what you get to go do? You get to go take a loan to be able to pay them that one extra share. And those loans, they're available, but they're punitive. Mm-hmm. You can only pay them back on the third, the fifth, or final round of the game. And you get 10 shares. No matter when it is in the game, you get 10 shares for a loan. But you owe 15, 20, and 25 shares respectively, depending on when you pay it back. Mm-hmm. It's so punitive. It hurts so bad. And so you can use other people's refineries as predatory things and use them against them, which is fantastic. Yes. So to piggyback kind of on that, there's dual currencies in this game. There's cash, which is only spent by the active player, and that's to build infrastructure and to be able to drill and to be able to pay for transport. But when you transport Everybody gets to transport a barrel of oil per pump jack out to the harbor. So everybody gets to piggyback off of you. And then there's the shares. Shares of your own company, which are spent on other active players' turn to piggyback on their actions. So when I drill, I get to convert an oil derrick into a pump jack, which comes with three barrels of oil. Anybody else who has a oil derrick in the area gets to pay me three shares of their own color to be able to convert. And so, yes, I'm paying money, but they have to pay in shares. So it's it's just this, this interwoven, just 
you pay me for this, I pay you for that. But we can't just say, oh, it's a wash because you're paying me in blue shares of your mm-hmm. company and I'm paying you in yellow shares and you're watching everybody's stacks mm-hmm. of all four different shares go up and down and trying to trying to manipulate that to your advantage. And I got to say the theme is fun. I mean, I'm from Texas, so of course I enjoy the idea of oil drilling and refining that oil. And one very cool aspect of the game is that all of the oil companies are actual oil companies from that time frame and still exist today, like Edward mentioned at the beginning. That's just a very cool thing. They could have used, you know, they could have called it Acme Oil Company, but they chose Standard Oil or they chose Royal Dutch. They selected ones that were applicable during that time frame and just still happened to exist. And I that's a very cool, that's very cool to me. Yeah, I think the theme, and, and like we say, uh, theme's only going to help a game. If it doesn't have a theme, whatever, no big deal. Right. But in this case, I think it really comes through in spades. So they did a really wonderful job with that. So the last thing I want to hit on on the plus side here is... Uh, the area cards, they also convey a little small bonus whenever you take it, you know, a couple of victory points or a couple of bucks or maybe a couple of shares in various colors or whatever. But there's also the refinery action on the bottom of the, on some of the cards. And what those allow you to do is normally refineries only empty when they're full at, a, at the end of a given player's turn. Well, these can be lifesavers when it comes to being able to quote unquote flush a refinery and empty it prematurely if it's right before either the fifth round scoring that happens or right before the end of the game. You desperately need that extra one or two barrels out of Australia. Play that card that you will have gotten earlier when you took that area card that has that refinery flush action at the bottom. And I think that's that's a really cool, not really get out of jail free card, but it's more or less you can use it to either threaten your opponents with, oh, I don't care if you go there, I'm going to be able to, you know, I don't care that I don't have that area card available to me at the end of the game. I can still empty that refinery Mm -hmm. no matter what, even though I couldn't deliver to it. That's fine. Or you could stab people in the back and be like, don't worry about it. I got this refinery card. I'll take care of it. I'll empty it at the end of the game. Oh, shoot, I forgot. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. So on the flip side, some things not to like. What you got? The setup and seating of the board. If the cards that you're dealt at the beginning don't go well with the cards that come out, then you can have wasted derricks and trains and refineries. If you, Because when during initial setup, you get to put one refinery down, and those things are expensive. And you put that your one precious refinery in an area that no one ever really goes to, that kind of sucks. But at the same time, they can ship there, number one. And number two, To you had mentioned the theme not too long ago. Well, the way I see it is people tried to drill in that area. It was a dry well. Yeah, Just didn't true. work out. You know. Yeah. Now, there is none of that in this game. So if you drill, there is oil. But I'm just saying thematically, I could I could at least see how you could quote unquote waste infrastructure. Yeah, that makes it. sense. Yeah. So at least there I can make sense of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Still annoying, but yeah. So the tactical nature of the area cards, it's either going to be a major issue for you or it's not. If it's not to your liking, there are two potential fixes. 
In the three-player game, in the revised three-player game, which the file is on BGG under like uh, two and three-player 2015 revised rules, something along those lines. In the three-player game, on even rounds, the leftmost card in the card row of the eight cards is discarded and replaced so that new two new cards at the end of each player's turn come up. That makes sense to me. So you're churning through the cards quicker. So that's one possible fix, and that's a that's a legitimate you know variant from the designers. Or you could house rule set up a second eight card display, and this is what's coming, so you can see what's coming, and you can make that decision that way if that's an issue for you. Again, I don't have a problem with it because, again, thematically you don't ever you don't always know where the oil is going to be. I can see that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it makes sense to me too. It just, it can be, as I said before, it can, it can just be frustrating. No but, doubt. But maybe that, maybe the only card that is out there that, you know, you really can't use any of them, but one of them has a refinery flush or one of them has money or one of them has two shares or three shares in a company that you really want shares in. Maybe you just play the bottom of it and move your ship around and don't really do anything else on that turn for you. Lemonade out of lemons, right? Exactly. So some folks complain about downtime in the game since one player takes their whole turn and then play goes on to the next player. But often the players are piggybacking on each other's actions so much. Uh, I mean, the active player paid for it. So some, if not almost all the players all the time... Are invested and they're they're doing something so I, I don't see that as a problem I don't either I very much disagree with that then there's the age-old question do you play with open shares or not hidden trackable information the rules are completely ambiguous about this so it's follow your heart do what you want some groups only play with open shares the problem with that is you're constantly how many shares do you have okay how many shares do you have wait i forgot how many did you have so you and there's no way to track that so that's the downside to open shares then there's closed shares because they they're they all have the same back regardless of what color share they are so then it's just a guessing game and then maybe if somebody has a remarkable memory they can track how many shares other players have what we've decided to do with our group is we split the difference and each player puts all four stacks of shares that they have so for all four players they put them in their own stacks people can eyeball them but you're not going to get an exact count some people are okay with that our group is other people aren't follow your heart on that so everyone has to battle over the same goals and we're all diversifying you can't only lead on shares or only lead on money and be and have a chance to win so there's no real different goals. It's only how you get there that makes the difference and who was who was better at it, who did a better job of in the oil game, which again makes sense to me and I'm okay with that. It plays probably closer to 3 hours until a group's experience as opposed to the 2 hours that it claims to. I think we're down in a four player game. I think we're down to about 2 hours, 2 hours 15 minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. So, but that's it. Now because I know and, and our listeners know that you and I really enjoy this game. Some other comments that I found while prepping for the show. Take them at face value. Take them as you will. Here you go. The low rating I gave it is from the dry theme and not obvious strategies. Substandard rule book. I agree on that, but I think a lot of that's translation issues. 
The decisions you have to take are subtly nuanced. I see that as a good thing. A lot of room for suboptimal moves and few chances to do things right. That's a problem? Right. Parasitic interaction. That's awesome if you ask me. Wow. You have to balance being downright nasty, a little bit of cooperation, and piggybacking writing during the other player's actions. There you go. That's all I got. That's uh, that's mm. the negatives on this. So we did have uh, a couple of questions from the guild on Wildcatters. Somebody asks, do you agree with Chelly's summary of Wildcatters? I do. I thought it was very well written. I liked, I liked everything that he said. For folks that don't know him, Ben is a user on BGG. Chally is his name, C-H-A-L-L-Y. And he's written some really, really thorough reviews on a handful of games that we really like. Anyway, um, I recommend checking out his reviews. And to answer the question, yes, I agree with his take on Wildcatters. Just like I did agree with his take on Cavum as well. Mm-hmm. The other question that was asked is, what's up with the reprint? Run these guys down and get them moving. So as I mentioned, it's coming. It was previously supposed to be reprinted by Pandasaurus, but that has since changed. All I'm allowed to say is know that a reprint is coming. That's that's really all I'm allowed to say. I apologize. Just it is. So yay to that. All right. So let's wrap it up. Um, you want to give your summary? Sure. So Wildcatters is a game of strategy, tactics, and drilling for that luscious black gold. You can choose to drill for oil in various areas of the world and try to be the one that has the most refined oil for the different continents of the world. It is a fun, deep, thinky, and beautiful game that will make you want to get a top hat, tail, and a cigar. You're an oil baron, and this game makes you feel like one. What about your summary? I don't need my games to be perfectly shined, spit and polished the whole nine yards. I don't mind a little bit of work as long as I'm rewarded for that work. Wildcatters has rewarded me handsomely, and I appreciate that it has. It's in my top 50 of all-time games for a reason. That said, the game's not for everyone. There are enough issues here that some will be put off by them and pass on the game. But for those who can see past some of those rough edges, I assure you, there's a really great game waiting for you. And boy, is she easy on the eyes to boot. So before we give our ratings, just touch on the rating scale real quick. We rate on a 1 to 6 scale. 1, it's not me, it's you. Burn it with fire. Damn you if you ever, ever, ever give this game away. Just light it on fire. A 2 is, it's not you, it's me. Simply just not my cup of tea. Glenn Moore and Notre Dame would be good examples of that for me. Nothing wrong with the game, I just don't like them. A three, the game's a little below average, but it has some some cool stuff to it at least. A four, hey, that's a good game. Mechanically or, or, or the gameplay has something good going on and this is where we start thinking about owning the game. A five, terrific, even dare I say great game. Strongly like it and we're likely to own it. A six is rarefied turf right here, a hall of fame game. No brainer, go out, buy it. So with that said, I give Wildcatters a solid, solid five. I had the exact same one. I rated a five as well. And that's Wildcatters. We'd had another question from the guild. It was regarding our rating system. He wanted to know if we had ever rated anything a one. And my very first episode, I said that the two-player twa was a one. 
And the only other one I could think of was, I think, didn't Tony Ray Helios a one? He may have. It was a one or two. I, yeah, I, I think, think I think it was a one. So would we have played it enough to get it on the show? Probably the only time a one would ever make it onto the show is the whole what have we been playing thing. The only game that I could even consider giving that rating to that I've played, not even Global Mogul, um, because the game is eh, whatever, but it was the production quality. For me, the my most disliked game that I've played was 2019 The Arctic. Just, it was the only game I truly wanted to quit halfway in. And I was like, I'm just over this. I'm done with it. I have no interest. So would we ever like do a review of a game that we'd rate a one? That'd be a big ask to play, ask us to, to play the game five, six times. So I would say unlikely. Yeah, luckily I missed out on that. <laughs> so it's a new month which means there's a new monthly heavy games on your table geek list go check it out and we'll link it in the show notes other than that um i say we just let's wrap it up huh our website is heavycardboard.com our email address is contact at heavycardboard.com we love to hear from you guys so please send us email or follow us on twitter at heavycardboard. our facebook page is heavy cardboard our Instagram is Heavy Cardboard. And our BGG Guild number is 2044. And our Patreon is patreon.com slash heavycardboard. All right, everybody. So it's getting pretty late. I'm turning into a pumpkin. I have uh, the stem starting to come out of my head and got a leaf and such. So <laughs> we're ready to go to bed. So we're going to go ahead and sign off for this episode. We'll see you guys again in a couple of weeks. For an episode that is to be determined, keep an eye on the guild, and I'm sure we'll have an Ask the Elephant pop up there soon. All right. Sounds good. Then we'll catch you all either next week or, well, either way, you'll get some content from us next week, and we'll have an episode within the next two weeks. Yep. So until then, we'll catch you all later. Bye, everybody. Bye.